Welcome to Coffee with Cornelius. Today I'm really excited because we're talking about the politicization of COVID-19 science and how scientists are going to have to do work in order to restore the public's faith in them. Joining me is Dr. Joseph Ladipo, a physician and health policy researcher who is associate professor in residence at the University of California, Los Angeles's David Geffen School of Medicine, UCLA. His research deals with coronary artery disease and behavioral economic interventions to improve cardiovascular health. He graduated from Wake Forest University and received his MD and PhD degrees from Harvard. Dr. Ladipo, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited about this. Thank you. Thank you. I want to say two things. First, yeah, um, sure. I'm speaking myself and not, you know, not on behalf of UCLA. That's something I've got I have to say. And secondly, I apologize in advance. I have three little boys. They're at the other side of the house and oh. they may they may show up, but I'm sorry. <laughs> that is fine. That's okay. Don't blame me. Blame the mayor. Blame if, the governor. If they zoom bomb, that's perfectly fine. I mean, I have I have a dog here and I have also a an eleven month year old baby. So eleven month oh, old baby, okay. excuse me. So so who knows? We could both get zoom bombed. But you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really having you on today because you wrote a fantastic piece, if I may just say, in the Wall Street Journal. It was called The Coronavirus Credibility Gap, and I'm going to put a link to that piece in the description box below. You argue that COVID-19 has become politicized. The science has become politicized. What do you mean by that? Um, yeah, thank you. I, I really enjoyed writing it, and I'm glad that it, it, it reached people and it sort of really, really touched some people. So, so, you know, we're here in the United States and, and it's normal for everything to be political, you know, so there's, yeah. so there's not really, it, 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 there was no other fate for COVID or for anything, any other issues that, uh, that are of significance in this country than, um, than for that issue to have some, some degree of politicization. Sure. What's. What's remarkable about COVID is that the way it was approached as a public health problem initially seemed to almost, you know, go beyond politics. You know, it was really, it's really profound, right? What a huge yeah. intervention to, to ask people, indeed force people to stay in their homes, abandon their businesses, abandon their schools, abandon their social networks, it's a really profound request and you know and that goes beyond politics and that's where we started and then it became degraded and it was degraded almost with with an you know accelerated momentum mm -hmm. uh, part of that we saw in how the protesters and their gatherings were treated by politicians by political sure. leaders and in just in very sharp contrast to other public gatherings such as the protests for the shut against the shutdowns I mean, those people were disparaged some of them were were charged um, were sort of were arrested and they were really targeted yeah, but it's, it's it's a really profound thing. You know, I mean, this country, one of the things that's special about this country, but it's not something that's just special to this country. It could be in any country is that, you know, this this the belief in 
liberty goal, which is not to say that the government and organizations aren't important, but really that is, is almost at the core of the creation of this country and what uh, sort of, of liberty, touches yeah. the hearts and minds of enough people mm -hmm. to come together, you know, and to, and to make, um, and to, you know, to, to become independent. And then really that love of the individual and, and that, that same spirit is what has propelled the, the most important mm -hmm. um, social um, revolutions in this country's history. I mean, it's so important. It's, and, you know, from, from civil rights, you know, rights for other groups that are, that have been marginalized, you know, at the core is that, is that there is an individual and that individual, you know, should not be, you know, is, should be free. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, you know, that's a big deal. That's way bigger than COVID. You know, we only have the luxury to fight COVID because of what we've been able to create from core principles in our society. So, so the way these protesters were dismissed is, is quite a profound thing. And mm -hmm. even though a lot of people shrugged it off, it's really kind of, it's really a profound thing. And, um, and then, and then in sort of leading up to it, it wasn't so much politics, but power. Mm -hmm. And I think not everyone's, saw it that way but but there really was this issue of power too so you know whether it was the michigan governor or governors were basically elevated to a place where they had with you know these emergency declarations where they had just unbelievable power yeah and in, in, in the sense that what they they could you know they could decree you know issue decrees what they wanted was what sort of was what was and that's like profound power right which um which you know again to, to go back to people who are very wise in the past and in the present uh like thomas jefferson for example power is 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 a powerful thing but it's also a very delicate thing mm -hmm. and and um in terms of its potential to create harm and uh, moreover, you know, it tends to be the case that when people acquire it, they often do not want to let it go. And yeah. um, that's meaningful too. And that's what, that's really what was at play when, you know, it wasn't science, right? When, when people, surfers in the ocean or being, oh, you know, or yeah. I mean, give me a Or question. outdoor yeah. church services, which are in the yeah. car oh, and drive through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, just like not only was it really stupid, um, but that that was really about power. And then, um, and then we entered an area where um, where it was where politics was. You know, what side of the fence people were sat on was what was ruling the day. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And, you know, in your article, there are two things that you point to. You already mentioned the protests. I think you also mentioned the implementation of face masks. Initially, face masks don't do anything. And then the, I guess, narrative was, oh, we're actually saving face masks for workers. And then everybody wear face masks. But there's also right. been, a, I've noticed, a politicization when it comes to drugs, pharmaceuticals, vaccines, in particular, hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, 
has been in the media a lot. For example, we have two retracted studies from the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, which claim to show that HCQ harms COVID-19 patients. And these studies were heavily promoted by the media. But uh, as we know now, they were reliant on false data. And this data yeah, is not... Big data yeah. that wasn't credible. You know, yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't credible. Right? wasn't credible data. It was, uh, and yet nobody, uh, nobody talks about the retractions now in the media and uh, work that seems to confirm that HCQ has some positive benefits, such as the work of Didier Raoult in France was hardly covered. Is there an attempt, do you think, to politicize research into, say, HCQ as well? Yeah, it's such a weird time right now. I mean, the, sh the, the, the answer is yes. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's just, manifestly the answer so um i i joked around with uh with a friend recently um when we we're talking about school reopenings and i said probably the quickest way to to get them open again is to just have trump saying they should stay closed <laughs> that's and, probably and that's true that was probably the quickest way to do it yeah and um and and I get, you know, people like some politicians, people don't like some politicians. Trump has obviously done um, some important things. He's also done some, some good things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, right now there is, they are literally the, the expression that people are sort of blinded by their, by their hate, you know, or their, how much they loathe something is, is you know is is very certainly the case for many journalists, and that target of their animosity, mm -hmm. is, their animus, is is the president. And you know the problem with getting in a place like that, it, which is which is different from just you know not which is different from disapproving it, in disapproving in the strongest terms with what someone says or believes or does the problem with getting in a place like that is that you know it is really hard to separate your actions um, from the influence of those uh, powerful emotions and it, i mean it would be better to acknowledge them than to sort of try and ignore them and kind of go on going on about your business as if as if they are, uh, as if they're, as if it's not a real thing. And there's like no question that part of the reason H, just hydrochloroquine has gotten such a bad rap is because of the president, which is like mm. ridiculous. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's so, so silly, stupid, and harmful. You know, consider that, that, um, that, you know, this is a medication that has been used for decades with, yeah. with a, you know, with this relatively safe um, safety profile, with a relatively good safety profile in patients with lupus and patients with other connective tissue disease and people who are taking prophylaxis or trips to, to locations with malaria. And it's just never been a, you know, it's just another medication. It's never been so controversial, but now it's, it's, it's really been racked up to the, just the, the uh, really high degree. And it has clouded what people are interested in covering about it. Mm -hmm. The truth about its use as like a potential prophylactic is completely still in the air. Um, what's bad is that 
because of how it's been covered, it may make it harder to, to figure out what that truth is. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, no doubt it's, it's, um, and it's so important because I, I've actually, I, you know, when I was sort of more naive, I believed that, you know, I saw the studies, like, okay, it probably isn't, doesn't work. And someone who, um, but then you talk to doctors who used it and some of them, it, and it's, it's not, it's common, right. For doctors to think that something works, sure. even though like clinical trials don't support it. But the passion with which they um, support its use is beyond analogous situations with medications that are like that people use, even though there you know, there may not be strong clinical evidence mm-hmm. for it. So it's really made me have serious doubts about the science that we have done more strongly about the need for studies. Um, high quality studies, and there have been a lot of observational studies, but high quality randomized trials that really test this uh, this idea of using it as a prophylactic medication and in combination with zinc, uh, plus or minus azithromycin. That's something I hear often. Uh, so it, it needs to be done. It's just it's 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 important that we find the answer. Yeah, and so I'd like to ask you now. I'd like to turn a little bit to the. World Health Organization, which is another big player in the apparent politicization of science and the political influence on science. We have evidence, for example, that the WHO, the WHO, follows China's dictates on issues related to Taiwan, for example. We see that with the Bruce Aylward interview, for instance, and the WHO's refusal to share data with Taiwan. How should the WHO be reformed in light of these revelations? Great. Yeah, that's that's an important question. I'm not smart enough or knowledgeable enough to, to be able to to really provide a, a good uh, a good answer. I, you know, from from the limited information I know, of course the WHO is going to be uh, is going to be an organization that that has to answer the politics. I will say that the documents they produced related to pandemics that I've reviewed are really high quality. So mm-hmm. you know, the potential for, for good science is there. And, and, and a track record of that. In terms of the, um, the political aspects, um, they're probably essentially in, in a more or less impossible position trying to bring both countries and funding from countries, from countries that are not all aligned into the same vein is you know is 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 obviously going to be challenging. Um, um, there there almost certainly is probably a better way to do it, and I think I hope that they are thinking about that. Um, but it, but I'm not sure what that that better way is. Uh, fair enough. Would you say that the United States's decision then to pull funding and pull pull its membership from the WHO is not a wise decision? You know, I I will say that I'm not. I myself am not. Uh, wise enough to, to be able to mm-hmm. to the conclusion on that point. I mean, most scientists, or at least most prominent scientists in this country, have had a negative view of of kind of a, the move to to separate from the WHO, and you know, and I can understand why why they would feel that way. 
I can also understand why, why you know, the White House may feel that separation or at least the threat of separation is in their best interest. So, um, so you know, like most, uh, like most political issues, it's it's something that I hope that there's some backroom, there's some backroom dealing right now and negotiating about how to improve the governance. Yeah, I mean, we've had the uh, problems with the politicization of science. It seems both in the regional sense. We talked about the governors. You talk, we can talk about the who. Uh, and perhaps that's a separate issue. But the fact is that I agree with you. There has been a politicization of this kind of science. What concrete steps should scientists do now to restore the public's confidence, and especially certain sections of the public's confidence, that the scientists have credibility? Hmm. I, I mean, I think that scientists generally still are viewed as being very Credible. I think it's more leadership that is mm. lost somewhere. By leadership, there. do you mean political leadership and exactly. public health officials, sort of thing? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But simultaneously, we're in a place where the um, where the the quieting of contrary opinions is, you know, creeping the sort of the cancel culture. Mm-hmm. habits are are sort of creeping into science somewhat so and and some of this stuff has made news i can't think of much right this moment that has made national news for very long but it's you know if what some university does something atrocious enough that you know that is viewed as despicable in terms of its it's silencing of dissent of, of essentially, you know, non-malignant dissent. So not dissent based on hate. Um, but if it, some university does something atrocious enough to uh, silence or punish dissent, it may grow into a, a situation where it does become a national story that sticks around for a while and really then exposes and magnifies the sort of the micro stories, like the many examples, smaller examples of dissent being quieted, being punished, that's happening in universities. And that would be, um, that would be very unfortunate for, uh, for science. And it's not unreasonable to think that, it's, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that that is not a possibility. But that is a possibility. Fair enough. Now, one more question before we go. Do you think we should reopen the economy? And if so, how should we go about doing it in a way that is sustainable and health conscious as well? Yeah. Yeah, well, really briefly, one of my colleagues is uh, Dr. Rajiv Bhatia. Mm-hmm. And if I can... Um, if you, in, the, in the Wall Street Journal article, there, I think there are two hyperlinks. And his is the second one. Okay. So he has laid out what I think is a really thoughtful way of thinking about reopening. And it's about, you know, protecting, really, really protecting the most vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and otherwise, and really focusing energy there. And, and mostly, you know, having lighter restrictions everywhere else. Like one way to think about it is, is if it happens again, if we have another pandemic, 
a year and a half from now. Are we going to do this again? Like you can only I do hope this not. I really time. hope not. Yeah. You, you can only do this so many times. Yeah. And that's the point, right? And the reason you can only do it so many times, it's a bad way to run stuff. Yeah. And so we should think of we should think of good ways to manage these things, you know. And and if you can't do it again, then you probably need to think about whether you're doing the right thing right now. And um, and if, if you again, uh, Rajiv has um, Dr. Rajiv Bhatia has a lot of great suggestions, um, and um, you know, still limiting crowd size, things like that, but really focusing energy and attention on, and resources on the most vulnerable, and that would be a sustainable way to kind of make it through this without destroying lives in the process, which is what we're doing. Yeah, that actually seems very sensible. And I I would agree with that. Thank you so much, Dr. Ladipo. I'm really honored to have had you on and to have talked to you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.